Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Old Head. I hope you're all doing very well. Thank you once again for listening. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. I hope you're ready to hear me talk about some rock and metal today because that's what I'm going to do. Today we're going to talk about second albums. I totally love the concept of second albums and what a second album represents for different bands and artists and also the significance of a second album when it comes to fans of a band. And so let's talk about some second albums. My favorite album of all time is a second album, and that is Ride the Lightning from Metallica. And that is an example of a second album where you have a band who burst onto the scene with a very exciting and well-received first album, but then they had to follow that up. They couldn't just phone it in, and so you get this album where Metallica has matured by leaps and bounds within just a year, and they didn't just give everybody the same old thing. They gave them a little bit of that thrashiness that everyone already loved, but then they started to branch off a little bit and show everyone who they actually were as a band at the time. And that's why I like the idea of the second album. So in the case of bands like that, if you already have a killer debut album and you've already gotten a lot of people's attention, I mean, that's a very important thing for a young up-and-coming band. Anyone that's been in a band trying to make it, you all know what I mean. At the beginning, fans are very, very important. Sure, they're important to you when you're multimillionaires and rock icons down the line, but not as important as they are when you're first starting out. So if you do make an album that grabs a whole bunch of fans, you almost have a responsibility to follow it up with something that's going to please those fans. But what kind of fans are those fans? Are they the kind of fans that just want more of the same and just with different songs? Or are they fans like me where I'm like, you did this really well. Let's see what else you got. So while we're on the subject of bands that came out of the gate with albums that gained a shitload of fans, let's talk about Guns N' Roses. Appetite for Destruction, easily one of the best debut albums ever made. And it took a few years to actually get another full-length album from Guns N' Roses. So Appetite for Destruction came out in 1987, and sure, you got the double EP Lies in 88, but it wasn't until 1991 where Guns N' Roses finally released a new album, but not only did they release a new album, they released a fucking massive double album, and the album was way more ambitious than Appetite for Destruction. We're talking about Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Now, to a fan like me, that's a fucking great second album. That's how you do it. Sure, there are things about Use Your Illusion that do not measure up at all to Appetite for Destruction. But I, 
Appetite for Destruction is so good. I I don't they don't need to make another one of those. So the fact that they came out with this ambitious double album that still had a lot of that hard rock edge for a lot of it, but there were also a lot of these epic seven minute plus tracks that really took you on a journey and some of them really worked and some of them really were kind of weak but in hindsight however many years away we are now from 1991 both albums are still very entertaining to listen to even the songs that were a little disappointing when the albums first came out and when the albums came out, yeah, they still remained this massively popular rock band. But I do know that a lot of people view those albums as a step down from Appetite for Destruction. And yeah, I, I get that. Um, but let's talk about an album that I feel is actually a big step down from a first album. When I was thinking about second albums that are kind of a letdown when compared to the first, one of the first ones that came to my mind was Van Halen 2. Now, is it a bad album? No, I, I, I not at all. I still enjoy it, but comparing it to the first album, the songs aren't as good. They didn't branch out at all. The production is pretty much the same. It's kind of just like a watered-down second offering from a band that had a huge amount of hype. And that first Van Halen album is another one of those classic debut albums. But if you play those back-to-back, Van Halen 1 followed by Van Halen 2, I can pretty much guarantee that you will find yourself feeling very indifferent about that second album. And I've heard a similar argument made for the Iron Maiden album Killers when it's compared to the debut self-titled album. Now, I don't agree with that one. I do think that Killers is kind of more of the same when you're talking about that era of Iron Maiden, but fuck, do I love both of those albums. So that's kind of one where I'm like, they did one album, the second album has better production, maybe the songs aren't quite as strong, but the whole overall package of Killers, I don't know, that's a fucking great album so the fact that they didn't really branch out on the second album does not bother me in that case and sometimes really all you need for a good second album is just a little bit of an improvement like take what you had done the first time and kind of work out the rough edges and present a more refined offering your second time around there's a lot of examples of those i would throw into that bucket uh peace sells but who's buying by Megadeth. That album, in my opinion, shows improvements on all fronts when it comes to Killing Is My Business, which I do like that album. It's got its charms, but the songwriting, the musicianship, the production, everything is taken up a notch on Peace Cells. And there's a lot of other thrash metal bands that kind of had that second album sort of awakening where they uh, were able to really refine their sound and present something fucking amazing. Uh, the New Order by uh, Testament. That is not vastly different from their debut, but it is a much better representation of that band, in my opinion. Hello Waits is a improvement over what Slayer were doing on Show No Mercy. 
And uh, probably the biggest one from the the big four in, in that thrash world is Anthrax. You take their first album, Fistful of Metal, with their original vocalist, and then you compare that to Spreading the Disease, the first album with Joey Belladonna. It's, to me, is night and day. It is a kind of okay debut album that showed some promise, and then this motherfucker of a second album where they just really pulled out all the stops and made a fucking classic, not just thrash metal, but heavy metal record. But that kind of leads us over to the subject of albums where the band didn't really break on the first album, and so they found themselves really having to prove themselves on their second time around. A good example of this is the second Kiss album, Hotter Than Hell. Uh, Initially, Kiss didn't really uh, get a lot of attention. They actually didn't get a lot of attention with their first three albums. And so the second album from them is very interesting to listen to for me because I, I do like a lot of the songs on Hotter Than Hell, but they don't overall hit me as hard as the songs on the debut album and the production on Hotter Than Hell is some of the worst I've ever heard. So it's a really interesting second album. It's like, all right, well, let's go back to the studio and throw something else together. And it does sound thrown together. Now, 45 years later, you look at that album, it's a fucking classic. I, I do enjoy it. But I, I would think that if I was really into Kiss after their first album, the second album might have been a little bit of a letdown. But it's important to remember that around that time, bands would sometimes put out albums within months of each other. Hotter Than Hell came out, I believe, eight months after their debut album came out. And... There's another very famous heavy metal band that released their second album very close to their first and, in my opinion, fucking nailed it. And I would be shocked to find anyone that doesn't agree with me on this particular album. I'm talking about the album Paranoid by Black Sabbath. So the first Black Sabbath album came out seven months before and... I think if if from what I know is correct, the album wasn't a bomb. It just wasn't anything huge. And within seven months, the band that had unknowingly birthed heavy metal had put out another album, and that album became one of the most iconic metal albums probably of all time. I mean, if you've got... Iron Man and War Pigs and Paranoid all on the same fucking album. That's that's insane to think that those dudes were writing those songs all at the same time. And on top of all that, probably my favorite Black Sabbath song of all time, Fairies Wear Boots, is on that album too. That is a killer album closer. Oh God, that song is so fucking great. You know, there's those songs that... You crank it up, and parts of it just give you chills. It's so goddamn good. That's that's how fairies wear boots is to me. Anyway, and so five years later, after Paranoid was released, another band was releasing their second album, an album that pretty much reinvented the band and made them into the band that we all know and 
many of us love, some of us don't today. And that album is Fly By Night by Rush. Uh, in 1975, um, Rush really didn't have anything going for them. You know, I, they had some fans. Their their album did okay. But at that point, there was nothing that really separated that band from, you know, a hundred other 70s rock and roll bands. In hindsight, that first album is really fucking good. But it wasn't until the addition of drummer Neil Peart and that second album where he was involved with the lyric writing and songwriting that um, the band really started to sound like Rush as we know them to sound today. Consequently, that album didn't really do a whole lot for the band either. It was still a couple albums before those dudes really kicked into high gear, but Fly By Night to me is still a fucking great album. And you know, some second albums are transition albums. Like you're you're a new band. You you know, you you had a lot of piss and vinegar in you when you first came out, and maybe things didn't blow up the way you thought they would. And so your second album is kind of figuring out where you're gonna go next. And a good example of that is Get Your Wings by Aerosmith, released in 1974. Um another album where Sure, they had some fans and they had, you know, some success, but nothing that would equal the success they had following the release of the third album, Toys in the Attic. But if you listen to Get Your Wings today, it's a fucking solid album. And yeah, I mean, I guess it was the same sort of thing. There were so many bluesy rock and roll bands happening in the 70s. I guess it was hard to stand out even when you were a band as fucking good as Aerosmith. Um, High and Dry by uh, Def Leppard came out in 1981. That was their second album, and it didn't have the success that their following album, Pyromania, would have, but fuck, High and Dry is a fucking killer album, and it's a great improvement over their first album, too. It really sort of shows where the band is intending to go, and they fully get there by Pyromania, but... High and Dry is great, and, and I did a, a, a video about this album, about a few of these albums, I think, on my uh, YouTube page, and I talked about how it's great to hear a band where they still have that sort of raw quality, but you can hear that they're really trying to progress and push things forward. That juxtaposition of the young, raw energy and that ambition to push yourself is what makes an album like High and Dry and Ride the Lightning great? Because you have all of those amazing elements all working together at once. And that's like lightning in a bottle. It's it's a point in time where you have to be at a certain point in your career. You have to be a certain age. Everything just has to line up for these classic albums to happen. And probably the best example of that, in my opinion, moving forward several years to 1991 when a virtually unknown band from Aberdeen, Washington would release their second album, Nevermind. I'm talking Nirvana. Now, I realize that these days it seems like that album and maybe Nirvana in general is kind of a controversial subject. It seems like Nirvana's music may not be aging the way that other music is aging. Because some shit gets older and people look at it as this sort of piece of history and this thing that you're supposed to appreciate. But 
I, I see a lot of fucking negativity towards Nirvana and Nevermind. And, and one of the worst things, and I, I brought this up, I think, on the last podcast, is people talking about a band selling out. And it's fucking stupid. Yeah, Nevermind was massively popular and way beyond the expectations of what anyone thought the album would do. And I mean, even the band, the first album, you know, was it was a minor underground success, but Nevermind was a fucking game changer. But you know what? If you want to hear me ramble on about Nirvana, you can go back a few podcasts and uh, I spend a little time talking about my relationship with that band. So let's move on to some other second albums. How about another band that I spent an entire podcast talking about months back? Motley Crue, their second album, Shout at the Devil. I, I I think there's probably no argument that it's a vast improvement over Too Fast for Love. And it ended up making them fucking massive. And that's another example of a band taking the parts that worked and using them to build a better beast, if you will. And in that same boat, to a lesser extent, I would put Rat's second album, Invasion of Your Privacy. You could probably argue that the first album is a better album, but for me, the second one, it it's minor adjustments that made that second album stand out a little more to me than the first one. I mean, don't get me wrong, the fucking first, you know, Out of the Cellar is a fucking classic, but um, I, I, I go back to Invasion of Your Privacy a lot more. Um, it could be the songwriting, maybe, but... Um, um, but it wasn't it wasn't as big of a jump, but it's just like a minor improvement. And sometimes that's all you need. Or in the case of a second album like Sepultura's Schizophrenia, a lot of changes were made, a lot of improvements were made, and in their case, it almost seems like the band just became better musicians from one album to the next. So it could have been just that improvement, getting better getting better at playing your instrument, getting better at writing songs. And uh, Schizophrenia is a fucking phenomenal metal album. It's still pretty raw compared to what they would do in the future, but man, that's a fucking killer album. I may be missing out on some pretty good second albums to talk about here. So uh, if I leave anything out and you've made it this far in the podcast, you know, uh, send me an email or go comment on this on YouTube or... uh, Wherever you happen to be following me, I'm all over the fucking place. You can go to oldheadpodcast.com and find all the links to everything I do out there. Um, But while I'm thinking about it, an album that is kind of interesting to me as a second album is the second Suicidal Tendencies album, Join the Army. And it's interesting because it, it came out was it five years after their first album? And I believe it's mostly a different lineup and the music all of a sudden got a lot more kind of metal. Um, not not like thrash metal necessarily. It It's a weird album to listen to because it's fun. It doesn't have the hardcore punk elements of the first Suicidal album and it doesn't have all the definite thrashiness of how will I laugh tomorrow 
It's an interesting album. It, it kind of lives on its own. It's its own thing that sort of exists in the world of suicidal tendencies. Shit, we're already at 20 minutes here. Let me uh, let me talk about a couple more, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, an interesting one to me uh, as a second album is the second Skid Row album, Slave to the Grind, which came out in 1991. And that album is noteworthy because it was the number one album in the country on the week it was released. That's pretty fucking cool. But if you think about what they actually did on that album, they already had established themselves as a very successful 80s hard rock band, and they could have just continued doing that, like other bands did, but instead, they got heavier and started adding in more heavy metal and punk influences and ended up making an album that if you think about when it came out in 1991, it's actually a very interesting album because it doesn't really go so far into the heavy metal world where it alienates the hard rock fans because there's still some ballads on there. Now, mind you, they're not necessarily love ballads, but you know, they're, they're softer songs or whatever, but it's this sort of unique thing where they found this sort of middle ground. And I think that while they maintained a lot of their old fan base, they ended up winning over a lot of heavy metal fans with that album also. All of that, which would already equal a successful album, and also they went number one with that motherfucker. I mean, that's insane. All right, all right, let's wrap it up by talking about one last album, another one of my absolute favorite albums of all time, and an amazing second album. Uh, that would be the album Leviathan by Mastodon. We moved forward a little bit to the 2000s, folks. That album came out in 2004, and in my opinion, is an improvement over their debut album. I know a lot of people would argue that they prefer the heavier, more metal-sounding Mastodon stuff, but I really think that Leviathan took what they were doing, which was a very aggressive metal sound that could have been alienating to certain metal fans, and they kind of smoothed out the edges and sort of opened things up a little bit. They're not getting progressive on this thing yet, but you can tell that they've got places they want to go. Kind of like Metallica with Ride the Lightning. We've come full circle, folks. So what better way to wrap up this podcast? Thank you for listening to me ramble. This is probably the most rambly podcast I think I've done so far. But um, if you dig it, let me know. Um, like I said earlier, go to oldheadpodcast.com and you can find links to my Facebook page, my Instagram, uh, Twitter, all of those things. Please go and follow me and interact because I totally love that. And it's nice to know that I'm not just sitting here talking to myself. So thanks for listening. And I will see you all again next time. Bye. Bye.